as Liam's already uh, iterated, we've, we believe as a ministry team that God is calling us into a season of prayer and of presence. And uh, we had the prayer meeting which started last week. Uh, prayer meeting is a, is a bit of a, the word's got a bit of baggage, doesn't it? It's, it's a time of chapel. We, we're here and we're listening to God and we're praying to God. So that had some reasonably good uh, uptake last week as I think a number of people wanted to just see if Pat made good on his 6 a.m. promise. Um, but I understand he and Trish were here even earlier than that. So, uh, so you're welcome to keep him accountable to that again tomorrow morning. Uh, now, I hope that the, the enthusiasm for attendance there is, is not something that's sort of one of initial excitement that wanes over time, but is actually one of you know, sparks which are going to turn into a flame as, as we as a church really press into prayer and to seek God's presence over this season. And we believe that that is going to result in a season of us being more outwardly missional, being more missionally focused. And I don't necessarily mean uh, mission overseas, though that is absolutely valid work uh, in God's kingdom, but it's important for us as a church to not keep this message and keep the word of God and to keep the, the presence of God uh, limited to this, these four walls here. To this space. For us to be really God's church, it means that we are looking out. It means that we are missional towards the world around us. And so this series, Keys to the Kingdom, is going to be feeding into that and taking us on that journey, helping us move in that direction. Now, I, before I was a, a high school teacher, I, I worked in the pool industry. I was at a, a pool shop, and I remember one day this guy coming in to our shop, and uh, he was pretty casually dressed, maybe even a little bit daggy by sort of 4074, 4069 standards. And he, uh, he came and he popped his, his water test bottle on the counter, and he also popped his keys on the counter next to his bottle as he was waiting for his water test results. And his keys caught my eye, because on one of his keychains was a Ferrari symbol. And I looked at him, and I looked at the symbol, and I was like, well, I mean, we've, we've had like an Audi keychain on our uh, keys, and we certainly don't own an Audi. Uh, I think uh, my wife was nannying for a family who did, and so they were their house keys for, for the, their house. And so I thought, maybe this is a souvenir, but I was curious. Uh, so I asked the guy, I was like, oh, that doesn't actually operate a Ferrari, does it? And then I knew straight away by the look on his face and, and how much delight he took in being asked that question, he smiled at me and he said, oh, go and have a look outside. <laughs> so I went outside and then fair enough, a couple of bays down from our shop front was this immaculate, beautiful red Ferrari, which the guy was about to use to transport dangerous chemicals to and from <laughs> his work. That's what owning a sports car is like, is, is, is it not, Duncan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think Liam's actuary brain is just uh, blinking with red alerts at the moment. It's an insurance risk nightmare, that, that thing. But this guy, right, though he was ordinary looking, <laughs> walked around everywhere with the knowledge that one of the keys in his pocket operates a very valuable and powerful machine. And this series that we're looking at, Keys to the Kingdom, is not meant to be one that's going to give you a, a, a five-step plan to better your Christian life or oversimplify what your experience is as a Christian, or claim that there are only a few secrets to then unlocking God's power and presence. This idea, keys to the kingdom, is to help you to realize that in your pocket right now, spiritually speaking, is a whole suite of keys which are yours simply by virtue of the fact that you call Jesus Lord in your life. And those keys 
operate valuable and powerful vehicles in the kingdom of God. And as we look to move into a season of prayer and of presence, then God is going to come and he's going to push us outwards. He's going to give us that missional focus. And it's time for us to realize just how powerful those keys are. And it's time for us to unlock what God is wanting to do in our world, in our scenario, in our context around us. And that's why I'm very excited this morning because I'm not here to tell you how to do Christianity better, but to simply alert you to what you already have in your pocket. And so today is the power of the word, the power of the word. And just as a bit of a warning, this is very close to the the real points of passion in in my life, so I might get a little bit excited. The the power of the word. Now, here's here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the, the key, more or less, up front, and then we're going to unpack it from there. So write this down, take a photo, uh, do what you need to do. Here is the key, right? The key is that God continues to reveal his word to the world through us, the church. God continues to reveal his word to the world through us, the church. And you might think that, well, that's a very plain statement. That's very easy for me to interpret. I mean, it's simply a statement that the church should be preaching the Bible. The church should be preaching to the world around us. Well, I mean, that's true in an extent, but it's basically looking at this sentence and saying it's a VW Beetle when the reality is that there's a jet engine powering this statement, and we're going to uncover what it is today. Let's spend a brief moment in this sentence before we uh, uh, launch out into our message. So God continues to reveal his word. Assumed in that phrase is firstly that God is a speaking God, that God doesn't sit in heaven as a stone wall looking upon humanity waiting for us to do something, but that God wants to speak, that God has words and God is revealing himself. Also implicit in that statement is that God continues to be doing it, that God is doing it right now. He hasn't stopped. There wasn't one moment where he spoke and now he's stopped. And also implicit in that statement is that God has been doing it for a long time. That for all of creation, God has been wanting and delighting and loving to speak to his people and to reveal himself. It says to the world, and that is very important because God doesn't just speak to Christians. Do you understand? God is not only about speaking to the people who've confessed faith in him. He wants that message to go to the world. And then through us, the church, and there is so much grace and so much power in that statement that somehow, though God is all-powerful, though God is above all things, that he chooses to use us, his church, to speak to the world, and there is great privilege in that statement. So let's unpack this. We need to know what is the word of God. That's our first exploration. What is the word of God? And now the first answer is probably the Bible, this book here, and yes, That's true. This is God's word written down. Genesis to Revelation is God's truth, which is recorded permanently and eternally. Although, contrary to the assumption that most Christians seem to grow up with, the Bible did not descend from the clouds, handed and received by grateful hands, and automatically recognized as this holy document. In fact, the process was almost the other way around. Because the Bible is a collection. It's 66 books written over a very long period of time by many different authors. And some of them realized at the time that they were writing scripture. Some of them did not. 
But we believe that all of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit as they did that. And so the process actually looked like people picking up these writings and reading them and realized that as it inclined their soul towards heaven, they recognized that there was a spiritual power in these words that could only be because of a divine signature. And so they collected these together and they, they copied them and they spread them about and they saw the demonstration of power that came through these words. And then we eventually have a historical process uh, which came to, to fruit in uh, the third and the fourth centuries where people canonized the Bible, where Genesis to Revelation was said, these are the boundaries and so we have the, the canon of scripture. And that word canon comes from the, the Greek kanon, which initially, originally, refers to a reed that grows in a river. And the curious thing about this reed is that it would grow to a certain length at its full maturity and then no taller, always the same length, which meant that it was a very useful measuring stick. And so this reed, this kanon, this canon is actually the measuring stick of truth. And so the reason that God saw it important for us to have this written down was for us to have an objective yardstick by which we can measure and keep accountable all truth. And that's a very important thing. And so we believe by faith that these people who wrote the scriptures operated under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we also recognize by proof that there is a divine quality and a divine authorship and a divine power to these words. And in similar fashion, we believe by faith that God oversaw the, the process of canonization that brought this book together, but we also believe by proof that this book has been proving its power and its divine authorship for the 17 centuries uh, since that has happened. But to limit our understanding of the Word of God to just this book alone doesn't quite understand the picture. Because as we've said, it was a historical process, which means that there was a point in history uh, where the Bible was not. So was God's word there? Was God's word present? Absolutely. And we see the pattern in the Old Testament is that God spoke to his people through prophetic word, through the prophets. There were this group of people who had sort of a special relationship with God where God would give them words that they were to speak to the world around them. Sometimes they were words of prophecy, of future telling, which is something that only God can reveal. Sometimes they were words of uh, forthtelling, which is to call out on and name truth uh, that is God's to, to reveal. And those things didn't stop. That happened in the Old Testament, but they still continue now. And we, we believe that as a church. And, you know, I could uh, tell you this has happened to me once in my life where God has uh, revealed some future events. Um, there was a moment where uh, God gave me three specific events that were going to happen, and one of them happened about four months later, and, and the timing for the other two is, is yet to, to come to pass. But God still does these things. God still reveals these things to his people, and of course, we have the Bible as the objective measure of truth for any time those things come. Another thing that uh, happens is that God speaks uh, through words of knowledge, which is essentially God revealing to an individual some piece of truth or, or knowledge that they would have no other way of knowing if it, not, if it were not for God, planting that in their mind and in their heart. And if you've attended any of the courses that we run here, um, where we run a, a retreat in the middle, uh, that's just, I can't explain it to you, ask Pat, he can explain it to you, but there seems to be an environment where God just does that, where people receive uh, prayer and that uh, there are lots of you know, words of knowledge that come, and so as you're receiving prayer, it's kind of like, well, somebody's been reading my mail, 
right? This person's uh, got access to, um, you know, God's mind about my life. And uh, we actually encourage the use of, of that kind of gift here in, uh, in our church. And last week, in fact, we had a, a word of knowledge that came uh, about healing. And uh, you should know that that healing took place last Sunday. And so God continues to glorify himself through revealing his word. And uh, we're going to, we, every, every time after our service, we have a time of ministry. And so I would, I would, I would encourage you to come with faith that uh, God is working, that God is real, and that God does those things, and he does those things still. And so the word of God, we need to understand, is broader than just what we see in the Bible, though the Bible is the objective measure of truth. But even then, to limit it to, to just those things is still not quite enough, because the word of God is broader even than that. The word of God is every time that God chooses to speak, every moment where God is revealing himself to us is the word of God. And so uh, when we go right back to the beginning, at every moment when there is some sort of revelation that comes from God, whether that's through a prophetic uh, word, whether that's through uh, the mouth of, a, of an animal, as we see sometimes in the Old Testament, whether that's through visions or dreams or, or the message or the messenger uh, of an angel, it is God's word which is coming. And so we need to understand that God's word is fully comprehensive of every time that God wants to speak to us. And the New Testament actually has a, a, a word that it uses for this big, broad picture, this big, broad idea of the Word of God. And so we find that in the opening of John's Gospel. So John chapter 1, uh, the first three verses, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, Nothing was made. There's a typo. I'm, it's, I'm embarrassed as an English teacher that I put that in there. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> was made that was made. Okay, so this word that is translated as the word is uh, the Greek word logos. Right, but I want you to see that the way John speaks about the word is not as a thing but as a hymn. Can you see that? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And so John is saying that this word, this comprehensive revealing of God is not just a thing, it's not just an activity, it's not just an abstract idea, but it is a person. It is a he. It is uh, a person. And, and there are lots of interesting things uh, implied by this statement. Firstly, that the word always existed. It wasn't created. Secondly, that the word was in God's presence from the very beginning. Thirdly, that the Word actually was God. And fourthly, that all things were created through the Word. And how do we make sense of that? Well, the only way to make sense of it is to understand that it's referring to our understanding of the Trinity. All right, and we don't have time to do a full exploration of uh, you know, the, the doctrine of the, of the Trinity here, but we know that we have one God, and that one God exists in three persons. And those three persons have always existed together. They are all equal in that they are fully God, and yet they are separate in person. And so that there is a relationship of unity and of love within God himself, which is perfect and sufficient. And so how do we understand this? Because we know that the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But where does the word come in? 
And the answer comes later in chapter 1 of John in verse 14 where John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the Word of God is actually Jesus. The Word of God is is Jesus. And we know that Jesus always existed in past as God. He is that second person of the Trinity. But before he was incarnate, right, that means in flesh, before he became flesh, he existed in eternity past as the Word. He was the Word. And you know, that has profound implications. Because it means that as we look through uh, everything before Matthew, when Jesus became a man, every revealing activity of God Every dream, every prophecy, every message, every uh, manifestation of God, which is him speaking to people, is in fact that second person of the Trinity, the Son, is Jesus. And it's why Jesus, when he's walking on the Emmaus Road with the disciples after his resurrection, he opens to them from the Scriptures and starting at the very beginning, takes them all the way through and he says, he reveals how that was about himself, how all of Scripture was about Jesus and these disciples say that didn't, didn't our hearts burn within us as he was talking through it? Because there was this harmony that was occurring between Jesus explaining himself from himself, from the scriptures. And you see, it gets even more profound than that because in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer to the Hebrews explains it this way long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke. There's the word of God. God spoke to us through his servants, the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And you see, there was a shift of mode that happened when Jesus became a man. And if we are to think about God in in all of his hugeness as, as the divine being. He is impossible, impossible for us to fully comprehend, and yet he wants us to know him. And so we see that all through the Old Testament scripture, God is doing what's called progressive revelation. Okay, how do we understand progressive revelation? Well, if you're building something out of Lego, you have to start brick by brick from the bottom. And you don't necessarily understand the full picture until you've gotten enough layers of Lego to to get an appreciation for what you're actually building. And so throughout the Old Testament, God is revealing himself piece by piece, brick by brick, to humanity. Which means that you cannot take a moment in the Old Testament, a single story in the Old Testament, as some people like to do, and then claim that that is a different God to the one that is in the New Testament. You know, people say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's full of wrath and he's full of judgment. Oh, but the God of the New Testament, you know, Jesus, I, I, I like. Well, they're the same God. It's the same person. But in the Old Testament, God is having to build a picture of himself piece by piece through this progressive revelation. But you know what? When Jesus came, that all changed. Because Jesus himself is the pointy end of a spear, the shaft of which started at the beginning of creation, of God progressively revealing himself until finally that spear pierced through into our world, into our creation as Jesus himself became flesh. Because Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. Jesus is all things in balance in God and more, if, I, if it's even correct to say that. 
Have a look at the rest of, of Hebrews 1, verse 3 and 4. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. And so you cannot claim to know who God is, to know what God is like, unless you are looking at Jesus. And it's why Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is all of God's attributes perfectly in balance. He is the ultimate revelation of God. And you know what? It's not just about his life. It's not just the moment that he was incarnate and he lived his perfect life. But God's character is especially and perfectly revealed in the cross. Because it was in the cross that all of the attributes of God, his justice, his mercy, his love, his steadfastness, his power, his eternal nature, his, his kindness, everything was perfectly balanced in the cross where God was forgiving us for our sins, reconciling us to himself through the self-sacrifice of Jesus. And even more than that, not only is it revealed through Jesus' perfect sinless life, through his death on the cross, but through his resurrection from the dead, that as God defeated death, he was continuing to reveal himself to humanity. You know, one uh, theologian puts it this way, uh, Millard Erickson says that he first functioned, that is Jesus, Jesus first functioned in a revelatory fashion even before his incarnation as the Logos. He is the light that has enlightened everyone coming into the world. Thus, in a sense, all truth has come from and through him. And so Jesus is the, the summary, the total of all truth. Uh, Erickson goes on to say, he spoke the divine words of truth. Beyond that, however, he was the truth and he was God. And so what he did was an exhibition, not merely a proclamation of the truth and the reality of God. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews declares that Jesus is the highest form of all the revelations of God. And so the words should be echoing in your head when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus' proclamation and his person was so perfectly overlapping that it wasn't just what Jesus said, but everything he did, every miracle, every kindness, every tear, everything was revealing who God was. He is the word of God. Is this blowing your mind yet? All right, because this should absolutely revolutionize the way that we treat this book. All right, and I wish I had more time to explain this, uh, but maybe I'll, I'll spend a minute to try and get this across, right? Because we believe that there is power in this book, not because of the pages, not because of the ink, but because it is underpinned by the divine logos, by the word of God. And so we can spend all of our lives devoted to reading and understanding this book, not as an act of uh, intellectual you know, self-absorption, but because it is devotion to Jesus. And so when you read the word and when you memorize the word and when you take it into yourselves, and there are so many promises throughout scripture about the blessing of receiving God's word and of taking it into yourself, the reason for that is that you are actually taking in Jesus himself. It is part of how you relate to him that you are devoted to the word of God. And it's why I consider that there's no greater thing for me to spend my life doing than being devoted to this at, at every level, not in order to worship the Bible, which is absolutely an error that we can fall into, but to understand that it is the, the Jesus, the, the word, the logos behind this that we actually come to adore and to worship and to know. And it would be my prayer that there's even one person here this morning who might feel the same way 
who might feel that devoting their life to the Word of God and to explaining and understanding and teaching the Word of God might be a worthy thing for them to do. Okay, God's Word continues to be revealed to the world through us, the church, and we understand that God's Word is this, uh, God, sorry, God continues to reveal His Word. Uh, we understand that this word is this fully comprehensive idea of every time God is speaking, every time God is revealing, and that that's more than just the Bible. It's also more than just proclamation. It is person. Okay, It is uh, miracles. Every time God is doing something, he's revealing who he is. And God continues to do that through us, his church. Now we need to understand uh, something about unity with Christ. The, the phrase, in Christ appears in the New Testament 89 times, 89 times, as a way of trying to articulate the, the degree of union that we have with Christ, right? If you've become a Christian, you've placed your faith in Jesus, he has saved you, your life is now with him. Here are a couple of them. Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says that eternal life is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. What? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, if, if I think I was to ask you, what does it mean to be in Christ? Or, or try and explain to me the unity that you have with Christ. How close are we to Christ? I can almost guarantee that whatever comes to your mind is not close enough. The degree of unity that we have with Jesus, with, with God, is just astounding. It's, it's shocking to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we also need to address uh, Romans 8.29, uh, which comes off the back of a very famous uh, verse, which lots of people uh, know and, and love, which is that, uh, for we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. It's a great one to, to put up on your world on your wall, but it's an important one to recognize in light of the verse that comes after it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And we've talked about this in our evening service, that what is, what's the point of being a Christian? What is it that you, that you wake up with and what's different about your life? Is it simply that you wake up and, and you go, oh, well, I know that I'm going to heaven so I can go and do what I want today? That's pretty awesome. Or is it you wake up and you go, okay, well, I've got my, my list of moral filters uh, in front of me so I can make any right decision that I need to make. Or I've got my list of rules that I need to follow and therefore that's what makes me a Christian. No. The point of being a Christian is every day to be closer to Jesus. Every day to be more and more changed and transformed into the image of his son. Because as Jesus calls us to be perfectly unified in him, so we are coming into unity with him by gradual process. And, and the theological word for that is sanctification. It's a, a work of the Holy Spirit to be done inside us. Okay, and so your, 
your job, your role as a Christian, what, what you should be doing, what your, what your life should be devoted to is to become more and more like Jesus every single day. And that happens through us coming into line uh, with his word. And his word is more than just his Bible, though it is the, the objective standard and measure of truth. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to separate to the divisions of soul and spirit, joint and flesh, bone and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart of man. The word of God is living and active, and we know the reason it's alive is because it's actually Jesus himself. And so as we pick this up and, and we read it, and we find that, well, we're reading a book, but actually somehow this book is reading us. And that's because it's Jesus who is shining a light on the parts of our lives that says, well, this needs to be more in line with uh, who I am. Or uh, giving us comfort or giving us joy or giving us peace or pointing us in the direction that we need to go. And so our relationship with the Word is very important. All right. Now we're going to get stuck into a passage in John chapter 17, which is known as the High Priestly Prayer. And I wish I could spend more time going through this and explaining it to you, but uh, we... We need to get stuck into some verses from verse 19. And I hope that you're ready to, to have your mind blown a bit, because this, this astounds me. John 17, verse 19. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And earlier he said that your word is truth. So when we see truth, it's almost synonymous with, with the word. Remember also that we're in John's gospel, which means that when he uses the word word, he's, he's using the word logos, and he's referring to it in that comprehensive idea. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hang on a second. Are you able to bring someone to Christ? Do you have that power to make someone believe in Jesus? No, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, Jesus here is saying that people are going to believe through your word. There is a blurring between the distinction of what is actually our word and what is God's word. That, that astounds me. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What? Right, Jesus is trying to explain his, his uh, Trinitarian relationship with God, that they are somehow, you know, he's in Jesus, Jesus is in him, they are in together, and then he's pulling us into the picture. He's saying that we are in God, so that they may be in us. Incredible. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. All right, that's an important phrase because that is uh, what's called a result clause. That is the outcome of what is happening. Right, so the reason that, God, uh, that Jesus is saying they must be in us, the purpose of that is so that the world may know who Jesus is. So that the world may know the message of truth. So that they may know how much Jesus, uh, how much God has loved them. That's the point so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Don't, don't read over that, all right? The glory that God the Father gave to Jesus, he gives to his church. Hang on, really? And the point of that is so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
I've been blown away by this idea of, of how much we are unified with Christ, how much we are in God. And to, to quote the words of Francis Chan, the degree to which God describes our unity with him would be blasphemy if it did not come from God himself. Do you understand, if you and I were to walk around first century Jerusalem saying this is true, we would have been killed for blasphemy because that's exactly what they did to Jesus. He claimed to be God, claimed to be one with God, and that's what got him killed. And here Jesus is saying that somehow we're put into the picture. That's incredible. And I would take it one step further and say that the degree to which God united himself to us would be blasphemy as well. Did it not come from God? Because that second person of the Trinity, the Word, bound himself to flesh. And did you know that he still has that body? That he is still bound to flesh. That he has united himself to us for all time. And that as he sits at the right hand of the Father at the moment, he sits there as the God-man still, able to make intercession for us. And here's where it really hits the road. Because Jesus could have stayed around on earth, walking around one by one, telling people that he's the saviour, that he's God, he, he's defeated death, he wasn't going to die. He could have done that. Would that not have been more effective than choosing you and me? Don't you think more people would be believing if it was Jesus himself walking around saying, look, it's true, God chose not to do that. Right? Because God, Jesus ascended to heaven and he said, I'm going to continue to reveal my word to the world through the church. Because we are one in him, because we are united in him, because our word now is his word. Because his word is in us and comes through us. Jesus was God's word made flesh. We are God's word dwelling in flesh. And to push it even further, Jesus is the perfect, the perfect revelation of God. But the message that we proclaim does something that would not have happened if Jesus were to do it himself. All right, hear me carefully. Hear me carefully. Because Jesus' message is a message of grace, and he says about how he laid his life down for others, and there is absolute perfect power in his proclamation. But in our proclamation, not only is that perfect power present, but so is a testimony of grace. That's what Jesus couldn't do when he explained it to other people because Jesus' story is not one of him receiving grace, but ours is one of us receiving grace. Which means that if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, not only is the perfect word of God able to come out of you, but so is your testimony of grace. And we think, I'm not perfect enough. I'm not good enough to proclaim this word. My life isn't sorted out enough, but you don't realize that actually that's the point. That as you come alongside another uh, person caught in sin and you say, you know what, I was there too, but God saved me. So God is choosing to reveal his word through us, the church, and it's what it means for us to be witnesses. That's what it means. We are witnesses. We are made witnesses. And when Jesus stood on the mountain and he said, the Great Commission, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth, he wasn't talking to a select few of them. He was talking to every single one who put his faith and trust in Jesus. And we need to uh, just call this out for a moment because according to uh, some recent research that we've uh, come across, it's very clear that the world around us is warm to the gospel, but Christians' feet are cold. Did you know that more than 60% of people in Australia are warm to the idea of the gospel? Let me say that again. 
more than 60% of people in Australia either already call themselves a Christian or they are warm to the idea of religion and faith and gospel conversations. I know I was an English teacher, but I can still tell you that's a majority. <laughs> the majority of people out there in this world are warm to a faith conversation. And even more than that, the larger number, even more than that, would come to church if a friend invited them. Does that surprise you? If a friend reached out and said, hey, come to church with me, the majority of people would say yes to that. And yet, how many Christians do you think invite someone to church in, in a calendar year, in 12 months, how many Christians invite somebody to church? 2%. 2%. Now, that may or may not represent us here, and obviously inviting someone to church is not the only activity that could represent possibly witnessing. But I think it's not too far from the mark. And you know, I think that something's gone wrong, if that's the case. But he hear me carefully here. Because it's very easy as a preacher and as a pastor to get up and say, you know, you need to be getting out there into the world and you need to be, you know, laying your life down and, and witnessing and sharing the gospel and, you know, giving them everything. But that's not what my heart is about here. Because when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, he wasn't talking to 2% of us. He was talking to all of us. And my heart burns for the lost, but my heart is burning for that 98% who have had a piece of their identity robbed, whom Satan has come and has convinced you of the lie that you can't be a witness, that your life is not good enough to share with those around you, that the word of God is powerless in you. It's powerful everywhere else, but it's powerless in you. Go home and read the rest of John 17 and how he says that, Christian, you are different. You are different. You are holy. You are set apart. Your life shouldn't look like the rest of them around you. You know, the real you is the one who is witnessing for Christ. And I don't necessarily mean going out there and having a gospel conversation every day. I think part of the, the problem is that we've oversimplified or, sorry, overcomplicated the whole issue. Because remember, it's not just Jesus' proclamation, but his person, which accounts for the revelation of God. And so the same should be true of us. You know, I'm on the verge of, of speaking too much and giving you too much information, so we, we need to get to a moment where we're responding to this. So I'll just invite the the worship team up. It's an issue that the vast majority of us have had that confidence to witness taken away from us. We've believed the lie that God is not able to use us or that we've convinced ourselves that the only thing that we can do to witness to the world around us is you know, not swearing in our workplace. And it's time for us to change that. It's time for us to take back our identity as a witness of God, to, to understand that there is a key in your pocket which unlocks the word of God coming out of you. That the very power of God which was made manifest in Jesus himself is there to be released to the world around you. And there are lots of unhelpful ways that we've talked about uh, this language in churches, about you know, talking about evangelistic gifts or talking about witnessing conversations and all those kinds of things. But what I need to invite you to this morning is normal Christian life. Normal Christian life where your life is a witness to Christ around you. 
And this season, as we continue to, to press into prayer and presence of God, what needs to be unlocked, what needs to be awakened inside of us is the realization that you and I are a witness and that evangelism is part of what it means to be a Christian and that there is a way that works for you. <laughs> there is a way that God has made for you, uniquely you, to be witnessing to the people around you. And so what we're going to do is uh, during this song, we're going to have a time where uh, we're going to lay hands and pray for people. We see that pattern in the scriptures, that if you're someone who uh, wants to be more involved, or maybe you feel like you've got gifts in this area, but they've been to the side for a little while, or maybe there's even a part of you that says, you know what, I, I recognize that there needs to be something different, or I want to be involved. We're going to have a time where we're laying hands and we're praying for those gifts to come out. We're praying to, to call them out because they are there. They are in you. We're going to undo those lies that, said, that say you're not a witness or you're not good enough to be a witness or that God's word is not powerful enough to work through you. And so we're just going to have the, uh, the lights uh, down now and I just invite you to stand. As usual, we'll have um, prayer over the side for anyone who has uh, things that they would like to be prayed for. But up the, up the front here, what we're going to have is praying for you to receive and for those gifts to be called out of you. Because as a church, we are the real church when we're witnessing, when our lives are a witness. And I had a, a life-changing, a, a perspective-shifting definition of evangelism given to me this week. And that is that evangelism is simply joining the conversation that the Holy Spirit is having with another person. Joining the conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. Right, we need to understand that this is, this is first price. This is what we are as God's church. He's not waiting for us to be educated enough or to get to the right point. We just need to do it. We just need to go. So as we sing, I'll just invite you to, to come forward and, and we'll be praying for you. And I'll just, I'll just say a quick prayer now. Holy God, we are in awe of you. There are truths that we, we struggle to understand. We struggle to understand exactly how much you have given to us it doesn't make sense, God, that you would unite us to yourself in such a radical way that the word would be coming out of us. And yet, God, it's something that we need to take hold of. Those keys are already there and we need to take hold of them. So, God, would you anoint us as a family, as a church, that you would awaken inside of us those desires to see the lost saved, that our life might be a witness. And God, there's, there's not enough time to unpack all of the different uh, misunderstandings or, or fears or whatever it is that we've got about evangelism and what it's looked like in the church. And so God, I just pray your Holy Spirit would cover all of those misunderstandings right at this moment and that at, at the very core of what's happening right now would just be a push from the Holy Spirit just a push to say it doesn't matter about the details, it doesn't matter about what it's been before, it's going to be right moving forward now. God, would you come in your power? Would you come in your presence?